It's easy to get stuck in the weeds of the business and just yeah. work and grind. Designing my life and designing what I want to. I don't want to do a million dollars a month. I need to talk about. It. I don't want to do even probably like seven fifty a month. I'd rather build a team as profitable as can be, as tight niche as can be, that can run effectively without me being there. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Boy Wonder, Gino Paloma with Easy Sell ATL and Gino Flynn from Kennesaw, Georgia to talk about how he built a million dollar business traveling seven months a year. So I don't know which part is more impressive, the million dollar business or traveling seven months a year, but we're going to get into all of that. Guys, I want a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, you will become one. And this show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value out of the show, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? Let's do it, baby. All right. So it was just a few years ago that you were here and you were in that other studio. Yep. Right? We were talking about your journey. So what are... What have been some of the biggest changes that you've got to experience in the last two or three years since you've been on the show? Um, I would say a lot more failure. That's a big change um, because, you know, like I, I came, I think, on in like 2022, mm -hmm. just before everything started getting hard. So I started this business um, back at end of 2018 and, um, you know, throughout 2019, just was able to reap the benefits mm -hmm. of you know, starting out, but still being able to, you know, sell deals pretty easily, find deals somewhat easily. I wouldn't say it's always easy, but find deals. And then 2020 came, miracle year. We tripled the business and revenue and even profits. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're like this, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, 2021, same thing. Um, you know, I started becoming even more like just educated on the business, growing a team really that year. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, all point being is that by the time I get on your podcast, and I think again, around 2022, I believe. When that June hit after, you know, I think I came in in April and that June hit and things started changing, I would say, back to your original question, a lot of things got harder and changed. Learning yeah. how to, again, figure out how to look at a cash flow statement, how to read a P&L, how to know that, hey, look, your deals aren't going to sell in seven days or less mm -hmm. on a, or go under contract or seven days or less. And that and now it's time to uh, start becoming a true business owner. Now you actually have to work for it. Exactly. Now yeah. you actually got to be a business owner, not just to uh, get lucky, right? Yeah. So before you could just get contracts and sell them. Yeah. Right? You can slang them. It was Very not easy. really that hard. Yep. The biggest obstacle I hear from newer wholesalers is finding buyers for their deals. Because unless you've built a massive buyers list or have a huge dispo team, you might struggle to move your deals. So when we started working with InvestorLive, we've been able to reach new buyers and sell deals faster at higher prices. We can see buyers in our area, their contact information, and with the new AI capabilities, connect with the buyers most interested in our deals based on the algorithms. We can also see who's clicked on our deals, how many pictures they clicked on, and how long they spent looking at it, and finally, what actions they took after engaging with our deals. We are now connected with thousands of buyers in our markets, and we now know exactly where we are with each deal and what next steps to take. If this sounds like something that would resolve or help your dispo process, I highly encourage you go to the website, put in disruptors for 10% off so you can focus on locking up deals unless I'm worried, stressed, and frustrated about finding buyers. So then let's talk about the changes and processes then. So step one, what was the first major change then? 
with I, the shift in market? Yeah, so the big major change shift in marketing, I think, was putting more emphasis on Dispo. Mm-hmm. I think before what we did is, like a lot of people did, is like, lock the deal up and let's, we'll sell this thing, no problem. Yeah. Or lock the deal up and just post it to our buyers list. And even at that time, though, we did start selling properties on MLS mm-hmm. um, wholesale. Like we didn't buy them. We would list them on there equitable interest right um so even though we did that we still were had to be put more emphasis on our dispo department it wasn't mm-hmm. just a list on the property now and it'll sell it's like now we got to start talking to agents around the deal and try to you know pre-sell the property or whatever it might yeah. be so so talk to me about that so you've got a deal yep. and you're listing on mls yeah now i took for granted that that's like common practice it's a function of living in a bubble yeah, exactly. Right? So you and I are collective genius. Yeah. We get to surround ourselves, Eric Brewer, Ryan Bartlett, yep. Phil Green, like the biggest operators yep. in the country. So again, we take for granted. You just list property in MLS. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea to do that unless I joined Collective Genius. <laughs> right. But that's not common practice. Yeah. So how are you marketing properties on, M- on the MLS? Yeah. So right now what we currently do is in Georgia, North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham area, and Dallas, Texas, that's majority of those are our markets mm-hmm. um actually more 40 40 and 40 percent dallas 40 percent rally durham 20 percent about right now marketing span and revenue in those in atlanta's 20 percent mm-hmm. um so how we're doing in those markets right now is you know the, the conversation with the seller we can go in detail of that but how we're legally doing it is we get into an agreement with the seller that states multiple times that we're listing the property on multiple listing service mm-hmm. and also attached to it is a poa Mm-hmm. Um, on the POA, it just appoints me actually as the owner the ability to sign a listing agreement on the seller's behalf. Mm-hmm. Now let's make let's make note here that this is obviously a little more advanced strategy. Talk with your attorneys, but what's also willing is that that POA. What's also helping us in this case, we have really good relationships with brokers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nico, he's a broker that helps us in all those states. And why am I bringing that up? Well, because technically we don't have a POA, right? Because it's not notarized. It's mm-hmm. not it's not filed. It's not notarized. But what it does is that extra document there secures or makes the broker more comfortable with our process and take on that responsibility or mm-hmm. risk of allowing us to list it on, on the seller's behalf, right? Because they have something to show like, all right, the seller knows what's going on. We have it on three times on our agreement. We gave them the whole spiel of why we're doing this, made it clear as can be. Again, that was a problem we didn't do up front. Maybe mm-hmm. when we first started this, it's, it's not being completely you know, transparent. And what I mean that is we still had everything in an agreement, but... I've learned if you say it one time to a seller, it's not enough. You got to say it like three or four times. And even that sometimes, meaning like you're going to list it on the market, even yeah. that sometimes right. is not enough. But again, now we've gone into it where we have it three times on our agreement that we're going to do this. Um, we have told them multiple, multiple times. And again, that allows us with the help of our good relationships with the brokers, um, allows us to put this on the multiple listing service. Yeah. And um, we're going nationwide as well, you know, so that's something that we like uh, we started in the middle of last year. Uh, and now we're uh, with Bateman Collective. Uh, nice. we're, we're going hard in, in multiple states. And, uh, yeah, so doing novations in other markets, uh, we had to find other realtors to work with. Yep. And um, when Devin on my team, uh, Devin Cooper, our dispo guy, is like, well, I can't find any agents that are competent. I was like, well, why are you talking to agents? Just hire Nico. Yeah, exactly. He has a brokerage. Just run everything through Nico and you're still the dispo guy. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what you guys are doing. That's what we're doing. And it took Nico a little bit longer to get in certain States that we're in like Texas took a longer in that mm-hmm. time that we just used five fee listing service, mm-hmm. which is what I like about Nico is one can call him up right away. We share season <laughs> tickets to the hogs. We were talking about it earlier. Like I can tell him fix this on the listing or have his guys. And, All right. but 
it's still like in the meantime we use those providers and mm-hmm. then now like we have nico yeah you, you're just a display i mean you're just a display you just you know yeah so is, is it top line uh, it is top brokerage. Yeah, top top brokerage. So shout out to, to Nico. Yeah, shout top out Nico. Brokerage. Top brokerage. So you, so let's take a step back. So we talked about the technical. Yeah. So let's talk through the conversation with the homeowner, right? Because mm-hmm. like something we see all the time, uh, we, we did, uh, you know, the brewer method with Eric Brewer. Uh, we launched a uh, installment method. You know, these guys, uh, Devin Robinson, Matt Crawford, these guys in, in, in South Carolina, North Carolina, like they have this whole other, different way right. of, of uh, buying homes and listing on MLS. Mm-hmm. And the objections we get, whether it's novations or installment, is why would anyone go with you versus listing with a realtor? Yeah. So how do you overcome I love it? it. Yeah, no, that's what, again, like you said, it's what everyone comes to us with. And I think I, I talked to Wholesale Hotline on this too, like same question, right? What, why haven't you listed with the realtor? Mm-hmm. That's our first question. Like, why don't you just listen mm-hmm. with the realtor? And by this point in our process, we don't talk about price first. We talk about motivation. So usually by this time, we would already have an idea of why do they want to sell. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because, you know, they want a quicker closing, right? Well, agents, you know, they usually lock you into a six-month listing agreement. And, of course, they do want to, you know, get you the most for the property. But they're just like us. You know, we're, you know, we're trying to give you the most money. That's why we're able to give you this price. So we're similar with the agents in that respect, Mr. Seller. But also, uh, agents don't really have a responsibility or they don't really – care how fast they get paid as much as you know us we're having a 60-day agreement with you so we have to do this quick and we want to you know we are getting this process started for you and we're going to close in six days mm-hmm. versus a listing agreement six months right because that might hit on the motivation of they want to sell this quick mm-hmm. so that's, again that's why i reference motivation figuring out um, another big thing that we tell the sellers is that look we're not going to do traditional open houses we're not going to make you do all this paperwork you know simple things like that you know the, tradi- the open houses we're going to have you know, people coming in here that are either going to partner with us on the deal or people that are going to be the ones purchasing it um, from us. And they're going to be pre-qualified. We're going to pre-qualify these people so that you don't have to worry about people backing out and closing in six months from now because you can't find the right buyer. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that for you. And so we're going to take over all that legwork schedulings and all that stuff. So just again, it, it's really important. It's hard to, you know, role play right here like we're doing because it's really what is their pain and how are we going to solve it? Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's pushing away, doing the good old Steve Train method, it'll say in their training in there, but just saying, look, we, we might not be a fit. We, yeah. You might, you sh- maybe you should just list it on the market. Why don't you? And, you know, usually they'll come back crawling to you. You yeah. know, that that's. Yeah. And, and I do have that great, you know, good fortune. You know, we've worked together for years now. And, um, and for me, it's an absolute pleasure. I get to work with your sales team, right? Oh, yeah. I'm um, blessed for that. And uh, I don't know, sometimes I kind of pit them against each other because I'm training your lead guys, your dispo guys, and your <laughs> acquisition guys. Right. And I was like, well, why do you guys do it that way? Ah, we got to talk about the process. So, by the way, I do need to have a conversation with you about this later on. Let's do it. All right. I told them, I'm gonna, I promise I'll talk to Gino about this. All right. So, another thing, too, is I think a lot of people underestimate because, like, they think like you, they think like me. Listen on MLS. Who cares? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah. Right. Like, um, I remember the very first time I bought a house and I was thinking, like, they would have netted more if they let me list it, but they wanted a cash offer for me. Right. Exactly. So, 15K. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, if Gino paid me $15,000, with just, I want to be able to walk into your house at any random hour, reason reasonable hours with two hours notice for the next six months. But that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Right. Fifteen more thousand for fifteen k. Sure, yeah. whatever. I don't care. I don't. I've got nothing to hide. But most people, the general population, there's a lot of anxiety listing home with a realtor, having a bunch of people walking through your home, and yeah. people underestimate that because they're thinking like you and me. Exactly. Right. Oh, there's a challenge. We can solve it. Is it uh, if uh, closing is delayed? 
uh, if there's a problem with the appraisal, whatever. Exactly. Like, we Repairs need to be love done. solving problems. Exactly. That's how we get paid. That's how we get paid. Yeah. But the average homeowner, that maybe not the average, but for a percentage of the population, that brings in a lot of anxiety. If you guys don't believe us, like why are I buyers? St- why are there so many iBuyers? Yeah, exactly. They're bringing in that convenience. We're offering the same thing. It's just we do it a little bit differently. Exactly. Okay, so we talked about the what, or we talked about how, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned it's a Novation? Yeah, I mean, we don't consider it Novation. We just market it on the MLS, mm-hmm. right? Novation, obviously, everyone's got different terms. You know? mm-hmm. so we usually, how we sell them in Georgia, because in a lot of the other markets, the markets we're in, they're so cheap to double close. Mm-hmm. Just not to introduce all that Novation paperwork. We mm-hmm. just go under contract with the buyer and double close and even mm. if it's conventional work out something. So, but same concept, right? We market on the MLS. All our deals yeah. are on the MLS. So you market on MLS so you can double close. So uh, mm-hmm. all you're really doing then is just the ability to market it. Yeah. That's all you're getting. That's it. It's marketing. It. Okay. So um, then the other wrinkle here, mm-hmm. and this is something that's come up recently in conversations I've had is why have your dispo guy do it with a flat fee agent versus paying a realtor the full commission to represent both sides? Well, I mean, first off, I save 3%, you mm-hmm. know, right? So if you're having my, if I hire an agent on our team to do it, and not that you have to pay them 3%, but traditional is 3% mm-hmm. for a seller's agent, right? Right. So, you know, right there, I pay our guys commission based on our profits. Mm-hmm. It's not 3% of the deal. I'll tell you that, the gross uh, of the sales price, right? Right. So it's obviously a convenience there, um, saving money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest thing. The second thing is, is like, we have a broker that we're good friends with, like I mentioned already, and we felt, I feel like we pretty much have, a, you know, someone like hands-on with us that's able to make the changes we need as if like a listing agent would as well. Like, you know, because that's the convenience is that they're a listing agent. They should know what they're doing, mm-hmm. hopefully, and should. Do it, and should, and but do it, <laughs> you know, pretty quickly. And that's what I feel we have with Nico as the broker, um, and but with also the convenience of not having to pay the 3%. If yeah. We put all of our deals on there, you know, for a year, I mean, it's counts up a lot more so that's yeah. the biggest reason why um i've talked to some people about it though if you have an agent that you're really close with that will do it for a low commission or flat fee like when you're first starting out maybe that's how you want to do it just so you can get a little bit of a you know you don't have to worry about those ins and outs of things of contracts and things right. like that you get that pushed away but i mean that's why i currently just use a dispo rep yeah know? and then the arguments i've heard right and, and again the the part about the price makes total sense right because three yeah. percent can add up real fast the other thing too is um, the dispo guy on my team, I can call him up at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Like, what is going on with this? Exactly. Not that I'm looking forward to having these conversations, but if I call him at eight o'clock at night, he'll answer the phone. Exactly. With a listing agent or with a realtor, I might call him at three o'clock in the middle of the day, working oh, yeah. hours, working hours. And I might not hear back until the next day. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's just the cost, I think probably not even just the money. The, the, the energy mental and time to willpower yeah. and diminishing and the frustration and all that. Yeah, exactly. you can't make up for that. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of mentioning. I said it with Nico being the broker. That's an advantage. But also, like, again, you were asking about dispo agents being listing uh, actual agents or a dispo person. Like mm-hmm. you said, like that's you're not going to be able to speed to the conversation. It's just completely out the window yeah. if you go just to an agent, you know, that has other deals going on. Right. And like with a listing agent, I think at best, I might get 50% feedback. Exactly. At best, I might get fifty percent of the people that show the property feedback. Exactly. Dispo agent, the expectation you're calling every freaking realtor, mm-hmm. and you keep calling them until you get feedback. Exactly. And you can you can dictate that 
You can see it too. <laughs> and you can you see control it. it. Yeah. Through yeah. the CRM. So then how many, so let's see, there's any other questions here. So conversation with the uh, homeowner, uh, the technical know uh, how to do it, implementing with Dispo. Is there anything else that's different than any traditional Yeah, I mean, I would say the big thing there is like if we're selling to, I believe it's about 30 to 40% conventional buyers. Mm -hmm. And so obviously you can't assign deals then and it's even hard to double close like same day. Most of the time you can't. So when you're doing this and again, the whole point of this whole strategy is we can offer the seller more money and we can sell the deal for more money. That's the name of the game in business, right? Especially mm -hmm. where we're at. Sell the deal for most money and lock up as many contracts. And mm -hmm. obviously we talk about this. I'd love to hear your feedback on this, Steve. I tell I talk to people this a lot, even though I'm very big into sales, motivation, hitting pain. I can do the best job of hitting pain. But if I can offer $30,000 more to a seller face-to-face, -face, now not always, there's always cases where we, we both know where sellers will say, hey, Gene, I could take, you know, I'm taking 20K price because I love you guys. But on the majority level, if you can offer more to a seller, and again, I'm talking extremes, $25,000, $30,000, they're going to probably pick, take your offer over mm -hmm. the next person, no matter the situation, right? Right. A situation actually might be a little bit in there. But just regarding if you're in the same playing field, like if I give 30 more grand, more than likely I'm doing the, I'm doing the deal. So it allows us to do that. It allows us to sell it on the market, like I said, and, and us to try to sell for as much money and make as much. Yeah. But back to your question, you know, what's different about that is if we are selling to these conventional buyers, what we have to do is talk to their underwriters too. This is a little intricate part of it, right? If you're selling to a conventional buyer, which it's part of the strategy, you're going to have that happen and you want to because that's how you can sell for the most money. Mm -hmm. You can't just talk to the, the, the agent, buyer's agent, say, hey, is the lender going to be good with the double close, right? Because you're trying to pick the best terms for mm -hmm. your buyers. So as a lender, when you talk to the, excuse me, the agent, the buyer's agent, are they good for, to do a double close? The buyer's agent's going to say whatever they want to get the deal done, right? <laughs> and because what if like some of these lenders, why I bring this up is some of these lenders will say, no, you need to hold it for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, if I knew their offer was going to make me hold it for three weeks to do this deal, right? Because they want to show me on the title, right? Whatever it might be on the deed, the, the lender, I might not have picked this buyer mm -hmm. versus a cash buyer that might've been five or 10 grand less. So again, the point being is that you want to figure out with these broke or with these buyer's agents, or with these buyers, you want to figure out how quick and how you know lenient are they with these double closes or these closing procedures. So again, don't go to the buyer's agent. Go, don't go to the buyer's lender necessarily, like their loan officer. Go to the underwriter. Try to find a way to get into the underwriter or tell them we need approval from your underwriter in writing of what they will do in this circumstance of us. And we openly tell them we're wholesaling the deal. We don't own the deal. We give them disclosures now that shows like, hey, we're not responsible if our deal backs out with the seller. Like we're not responsible to to do your um, deal with you because it's not our fault. Again, the whole point being is you're being as um, extra disclosure extra disclosures as possible. And so if you can get down again, you ask what is one part in the the system that you might not know that's different than traditional. So you got to go to the underwriter mm -hmm. and see what they would be willing to do on a double close or a closing yeah. time period because that's going to decide whether you pick that buyer that might take a three week, like I said, closing or three week, uh, you know, hold back. Versus someone that can close same day double close or how are you getting uh how are you talking to the underwriter? Big thing is going to the agents first. The goal is to tell them like, look, we need this is standard protocol. We need to get something from your underwriter or at least get on the phone with them mm -hmm. to understand it. Then of course the agent says, Well, I mean, we only got the you maybe can talk to the loan officer or you can maybe talk to the, you know, the bank or the lender, right? And then it's just again a constant process of trying to weed through the next person to get in there. And again, it doesn't happen all the time. I don't want to say we're perfect, right? Sometimes we're drastic for an offer, we'll accept it. But the point being is overall, and you know, I think the big difference there is like you actually have to go to 
versus the cash deal, obviously, you know, confirmed the cash deal, get proof of funds. That's it. Yeah. Versus now you got to dig deeper and, and just trying to communicate and tell them like, this is just normal practice. I think just telling them like, this is what we normally do. Sometimes again, buyer's agents say, you can't talk to the underwriter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, this is what we've done in the past. Get on the phone with the seller. This is how we've done it. We get on the phone, excuse me, with the bu actual buyer and us on a two-way call with the underwriter, like, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. It sounds like a lot more work and reality is it's really is, but you're going to make a lot more money. And if you build a good process and procedure on it, you can have someone on your team that's just designated to talk yeah. to these people. So that's what I was wondering who on your team is actually talking to majority of the time. It's first, if it's easy layups, right? It goes dispo rep talks to the buyer's agent, talks to the lender and talks to the underwriter. Hopefully it goes straight to the underwriter. If it gets a little more in intricate, then I think we would to be honest, know better on this because I'm not like seeing over dispo, but I'm pretty sure that one of our dispo assistants gets on the phone and starts doing that. Yeah. Um, that's a VA. So, yeah. And that's incredibly powerful. Like I know one of the things that we pitch in going to the market, mm -hmm. Hey, the reason why you want to do this, blah, blah. And also we're only going to have qualified buyers. Exactly walk through the home right that's part of the pitch okay. and so uh, with having the qualified buyers come through you guys are willing afterwards to talk to the underwriter before you get a contract uh signed i know plenty of realtors that don't even call the loan officer exactly yep. prior to accepting the offer so like we'll find out sometimes where a, a buyer will get disqualified and we'll ask the loan officer what happens like oh they never submitted the financials like why did you we give go him this far? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you give him a pre-approval? Right. Yeah, exactly. So you guys are taking it one step further and you're actually talking to the owner. Yeah. That's our goal on it as much as possible is to do yeah. unconventional. Like I said, that's 40%. Majority of the time we are 60% selling to cash or hard money guys or someone that has a, you know, financing a little bit sooner. But yeah, like you said, it's an important part because we got burnt. We go to the closing table with our seller and then we have to fund the deal. We're never going to leave the seller out, but like, it's like two days, three days. Oh, they can't close for another three weeks now because you guys are wholesaling it. Like we, we've been on a contract for 25 days. Like you you guys knew what we were doing. We told you, Mr. Agent. Hmm. Well, yeah, but I talk, I just talked to the lender and they said they need this. Like we've got so many times like that. And right. obviously you learn after two or three of them, like we're not accepting unless we talk to this lender, right? Yeah. Or underwriter, excuse me. So how many of these are you doing a month? So on average, what we looked at last year, I believe we were just under 200 um, contracts. Mm -hmm. um, our goal is to close at 60%. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to work that up. But um, yeah, I know on contract wise, we list everything. I would say 90%. I know I'm throwing numbers out here, but some of them we do take down and hold. So if they're really good deals, we're not going to risk putting them on the market. Mm -hmm. um, but it roughly last last month, we had 21 contracts. Um, but our goal this year is to do on average about 23 to 25. So I think it comes up to about 25 per month mm -hmm. um, contracts and all those go on the market and then close in at 60%. So I think it's roughly like, 13, 14 closed deals uh, a month. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with that being said, almost all those will be this type of strategy. If not, if they're just very good deals, again, about 10%, 15%, we'll take them down. So one or two a yeah. month, we'll take down and just, we never get into the flipping game. I've learned that it's not something I want to. And I'm saying that now, like I'm looking at some of our deals, like we had our first time ever, like on two deals we did, they weren't even flips, they were hotels. Even that, I, I, I lost like three grand on one I just closed last month. And I'm mm -hmm. like, even that now, I'm like, <laughs> I should stop buying properties, man. I'm just, I think we just stick, stick to what I know and the wholesaling. Yeah. But again, any big deals, the one I did lose money, I thought was a big deal. Of course, it happens to some of us. But right. uh, any big deals is the ones we're taking out wholesaling, meaning like 60 plus K. And, and usually it depends on the access to as well. If they say no access, then we're going to take it down. So you're not wholesaling at all really right now? No. Everything's on the MLS? Yeah. Not, I would say, yeah, 95%. 
is non-wholesale. Yeah. Non-assignments, non- Or I guess, I wouldn't say non-wholesale. It's a different way it's not of assignment exit. Fees. Yeah. yeah. It's not just crash buyer. It's exactly. And that's, marketing off the MLS. Yeah. And that hurts your cash conversion cycle, right? From the time the lead comes in your system, you spend money on it, comes in your system, the time you get paid. I think on ours, it's like 80 days or 75 days versus like if you're doing cash deals, like it's like 35, 40 days. So like right. it takes double the time for us to get paid, which is hurt last year sometimes, right? When you're like having a bad month and it's contracts and you know in two months from now, you're going to be and hurting and you can't speed it's hard to speed it up like we're mentioning because you're not selling to traditional cash investors off your buyers yeah. list right so it's a little um you know again give or take there uh what is your average uh gross profit per deal yeah uh, it's about thirty three thousand. Thirty three thousand. so going off the mls about thirty three thousand. exactly and uh what was your average wholesale fee prior to this uh i believe it was like Seventeen to eighteen thousand dollars, like seventeen five. I think it was roughly. And this is in twenty twenty one. We yeah. started twenty twenty two doing this, so Why? it's been a while. Well, we had a mentor that we uh, learned from, Ren Bartlett. Um, this is again back in the end of, I think twenty twenty one. We hired Ren to coach us. Mm. I remember telling you about it, and uh, and you were, I was excited about it, getting him to be one on one coaching with us. And, mm. and a big thing that his organization was doing was doing this. And I was like, wait, hold on. I didn't even thought about it. Back to what we were talking about earlier, collective genius mastermind groups we've been a part of is like. I, he put in the room with him and he told me about this. And I was like, I didn't even know this thing existed that you could even do this. So um, we quickly started trying it end of 2021. And we saw like, whoa, we did one, we did two. We got twice the amount of money we thought we were going to make on this deal by putting this on the market right. um, and worked out the kinks of it in the beginning, obviously working with the lenders, underwriters, trying to learn that. So by the time 22 hit, our deal size, again, pretty much doubled. And I think in 2022, when we went full on with this, I know the year was also up and down because of the... Uh, the way the interest rates went, I think our deal size was like the first quarter when it was still hot, it was like 44,000 and we were shooting for 35,000. And right. so we we're like, holy crap, this is the money. Um, and so again, that's, that's really why we did it to make more money. Um, and to allow us to pay more to sellers, to be honest too. Yeah. We can pay the sellers more. Exactly. And I think one of the other things too, you were the one, the uh, first ones to tell me like, Steve, like I'm selling everything. Over. Yeah. That was another thing. I mean, that was again from people in CG, right? right. I, it wasn't me that created that, but like I took from people in CG and yeah, that time, 2022, I believe, yeah, 2020, yeah, two, 2021, yeah, through 2021 and the beginning of 2022, but most of 2021, we took them, we took them, and now looking back on it, I know we all think this, but oh, I, 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 we could have ran them really out of business then, because they were buying houses from us, you got the experience too, I swear to God, 60k over market value on a right. couple properties, 60k over market value, so back to that yeah we're just taking advantage and i'm looking for that next one now um so big thing we can you know talk about it but it's just finding people that are just on the top of this business and i yeah. tried to intentionally pay them somehow or to bring some value into it right like i think we all try to do it to see what they are doing and that's what's led us to the open door ren talking to us about listing on the mls and i'm on the hunt for the next one yeah well so let me talk about that so you know we're gonna walk down memory lane here mm -hmm. of all the different things you've done coaching wise right personal yeah. development it sounds like personal development is really important to you. yes it is right what was the very first program you went through the first program i went through to be like the first full program was disruptors just before that though i did go into like max maxwell's like we live all their events and all that um, yeah those i remember nine. meeting at we live yeah we met at we live 19. i remember uh at some point you worked with kong 
Yeah. Well, I just became a good friends with them and started right. doing stuff with them. But uh, right. yeah, so Kong was like a little bit after that, like working, became good friends with Kong. Yeah. Cause, oh, yeah. Cause we were speaking at We Live and Kong was there as well. And you were with us. It was me, you, Kong, and like two other guys just yeah. hanging around John Paul, too, my former business partner. And then, yeah, we were just talking stuff, yeah. laughing. And that was a good night. So you got to work. So not work, uh, not necessarily yeah, coached by Kong, but you got to work alongside Kong. Yeah. Right. And then you obviously were at, was at uh, We Live with Max mm -hmm. Maxwell. Uh, somewhere along the line, you were working with All In. Yeah. I just, again, with them too, it wasn't through their program, but I bought into some of their um, softwares, their systems, their mm -hmm. process. And I really dug into just, again, hanging with them, talking with them at, I think it was um, Tony Robbins' event or Tony Robbins. I don't want to mix up <laughs> Tony, Tony Robbins, Rob Robinson, right? Yeah. Tony yeah. the Closer. Tony the Closer. That's it. Not Tony <laughs> Robbins. Um, a little but, different. Yeah, a little different Slightly guy. different guy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he had an event and then all in guys were there and I had a pretty one-on-one -on -one conversations, a lot of stuff, but not through their program either. But to your point, a lot of coaching throughout the years, including maybe I didn't go through the program, but a lot of coaching through mm -hmm. Kong, you know, um, all in, watching a lot of their stuff, digging in, buying some of their, not programs, but buying into some of their softwares and their products, products. Yeah. And then Max Maxwell. Steve Trang, Big Stevie. It was the first program like I really took on and, and went through a system and learned, you know, a bunch of things right through it. So again, everyone here, we're having this combo, but I would say hundred percent check out salesdisruptors.com right there. Got the t-shirt on. That's right. Um, but yeah, and now you're training all our people. So but yeah. continue your flow, like you said, went from working with Max Maxwell, working going through his events, Kong, um, all in, Steve, sub two pace becoming pretty close with pace too and learning a lot of stuff that he does there um then it brought me into i know i'm missing some stuff along the way i did join tiffany high mm. um and their stuff in like 2021 or 2022 just for the, the, the three week actually i think chandler did it my past partner too he did all of it so i think it was like a three-week program mm. or maybe it was three months i don't know don't yeah. hold me to it and then um i said i did a lot now the last like year eric brewer did novation um did private money course with you as well oh yeah private money and then we did the the uh the innovation the brewer method and um what else i mean just a bunch of different one-on-one -on -one with ren one-on-one -on -one with ren worked a little bit with some of uh eric guidanson mm -hmm. which maybe a lot of you guys don't know but big player in san diego low key like, low if you don't key. know eric you're missing out yeah big time eric and phil yeah um and then sharper sharper yeah. as well sharper solutions uh doing a lot of the quarterlies and so yeah i've I've tried to get as much as possible, get in, you know, money groups. And I know, like, obviously I follow Steve, helped me a lot through this too, by, hey, go here, go there, go to these people. And then yeah. that's like, obviously just took it from there. So been big help. Big yeah. Stevie. Well, appreciate that. Asian dad too. That's his, <laughs> that's the second name we call him. Asian dad. Yeah. My Asian so, dad. Yeah. Uh, the, when we text, right. It's like, you know, my Italian son. Yeah. And yeah. he's the real Italian too, born in Italy. <laughs> so. so, and I bring this up because. There's a lot of people, not necessarily the people that are listening to this show. I think yeah. A lot of people that listen to the show probably are more personal yeah. development minded. But there are a lot of people that are opposed to investing in themselves. Yeah. So what would you say to someone that's like, ah, you know, I can figure it out on my own? Well, that's an, a good question, right? I, I look at it and they're thinking of it as an expense most of the time. They're like, I could just figure this out on my own and I don't have to save my, I can save my seven grand, 10 grand, 15 grand. The reality is it's just like the marketing spend. And again, like you said, a lot of people watching this, I know and I watch it and a lot they're doing business and they're having business deals and there are no problems spending 10 grand on SMS or 10 grand on mail yeah. a month and all that and looking, cause they're looking at it as a return. Again, most of the people watching this, right? They look at it as an ROI on their marketing. And the same thing though, with personal development, um, Pineda, we forgot, I mentioned Pineda too. Yeah. 
just to bring this one up, like we went and paid five grand to golf with Pineda. Steve was making fun of me. All these guys were making fun of me, laughing, like good. Like, we're just messing around, right? And it was, it was really more envy than it was. Okay, well, you know, I'm just messing around. Like we're we're joking, like you're paying for golf to play golf with Pineda five grand. Yeah. And, and again, to the whole point of ROI, yeah, we went, we built a good connection, um, able to, you know, build a relationship with Ryan. And then six months later, we were speaking on stage in front of 400 people for him. He invited us on, you know, and that obviously led to a lot of deals and business done. Looking at that five grand, I'll tell you, we more than 10, 20, 30 X that with deals of people with our own program we had. And so again, challenging those people to think like, what are you trying to get out of it? Are you going to have a return on your investment? Is the brewer method you're going to learn to spend the money on it? Can you make, you know, a multitude of, you know, multiples of that back? And, and Brewer Method was part of it. Rand did teach us to put on the MLS, but I'll use, use a lot of Eric Brewer, Steve's mythology and, and talking to sellers of, to be able to allow us to put this on the market. Right. So again, back to that, like five or whatever it was back then, 5K now, I don't know what it is not to put it on, but back then it was 5K, right? And um, well worth it either way. We've done drastic hundreds of deals, closed deals because of that system. And so think about that return on that right yeah. there. Outrageous. It's outrageous. So again, yeah. back to your point, look at it as an ROI. You're investing in yourself. Is it a return on investment? You'll keep it the rest of your life. Yeah. It's not going to go away. It's not like the mail piece, though. Even if you look at it as ROI, the mail piece, like the January campaign's done now. Yeah, you might get a call a year later. Again, mail is a bad example, but yeah. you know, it's done versus this. You can keep the rest of your money, you know, yeah. especially With you forever. Sales training, right? For the rest of your life. Uh, one thing that you and I were talking about before we went on air was that you got uh, season tickets to the Hawks. Yeah. I was like, why don't you just do the, the Ryan Potato model? Yeah, see, yeah, he talked to me. Steve's already helped me with that, too. Yeah. So what's the what's the proposed plan? And is that something we want to do? Yeah, no, you bring it up. So, yeah, me and Steve were just talking just before this, and Steve put this in my head. So, again, Ryan Pineda paid him to golf five grand. Obviously, for him, you know, it's just it's a good relationship building four hours with them. So me and Steve were talking, and Steve's idea to give him the credit. He said, look, you got we got season tickets, me and my buddy Nico, we mentioned already. Uh, right behind the bench, the Hawks bench. And I was behind the visitor's bench, excuse me. So we purposely did that so we could resell them. Anyone comes up. Uh, we got the Lakers coming in. We got Golden State. We got Clippers. And we got um, Suns all mm -hmm. within four days. of each, yeah. or All within like six days of each other. Yeah. So point being, Steve said, you know, why don't you do something where you charge X amount of rate and have them come in. They can sit with you courtside. You got a two-hour game. We go eat before. We go eat maybe after. Maybe we don't have to eat after because we're going to have food there too. But we go hang out after and make it a – a whole product and shit we need to start doing that yeah. sorry no cursing but shoot we should start doing that right so again that's that's the new proposal potential thanks steve you might be the first he's coming in for free steve <laughs> you're welcome on and come to any game you want um but no that being said like that's right but, there but that's a function right that's of, a function of, yeah. of going to ryan's event and like you know uh for better or for worse we have this connection because you were in my mentorship program exactly right and we got really close through that and then you rinse up too. So you have a relationship with Pace. Yeah. And you go to Pineda's thing, your relationship with Pineda. Like, yeah, it's money. Yeah, there's a cost. But how much value do you yeah, exactly. get from that? And, you know, and other, uh, other podcasts I've done with Paul Sparks, like, uh, there's no shame in buying relationships. Sure, that's what I was going to say. I bought friends, but I don't, now we have relationships, like yeah. you said, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're virtually wholesaling with 40 team members yeah roughly now it's about 35 um about 30 35 people on and off right but virtually wholesaling um just meaning that even if we're living like or reside in atlanta majority of my time in the year and um you know even if i'm there it's we're locking things up over the phone so steve right. knows that that's what we're going to talk about probably after this a little mm -hmm. bit too it's just and we've and 
go on that little tangent for five years i've been doing this started in 2018 end of 2018 and ever since then since the beginning people say closer close in person close in person close in person now in 2018 i want to design this business going into that to be where i could be anywhere in the world i fell in love and traveling but when i was like 16 my parents took me to um europe and i saw that world and as to this exists there's you know you see 2000 year old churches you see 2000 year old you know buildings and food and all this so again caught my bug there just to bring it back to the story is that i was like i want to do this all around the world i don't want to go in person to someone's house and try to lock up a contract so that influenced how i built the business you built the business to suit your, your lifestyle exactly suit where i wanted to be and how i wanted my life a lot of power in that yeah, it, and I say it, it was, I have no regrets in doing that. In five years, like I said, within that five, everyone was still saying to me, you just go in person, go in person. I don't want to say I was being stubborn. I like, came to one point, I think I was talking to you maybe about this too, and Ren, I talked to him multiple, and they're like, look, if it's working, don't change what's working for you, you know? Now, fast forward to today, um, we're starting to do maybe a little hybrid model, but obviously it's not me going out there with our acquisition reps. But uh, back where you're saying, virtual company majority all the last five years, locking things up for the phone, selling deals. Um, no one really going in person other than hiring people to take pictures and stuff like that. So yeah. that's what's allowed me to live the uh, the lifestyle. So we're going to talk about traveling, right? We're going to talk about that. But before we talk about that, uh, you've gone through a little bit of, um, uh, you've had some experiences with partnerships. Yeah, had some, I had a lot of experiences with partnerships. Um, well, I don't want to say a lot, but I've had a good amount of experiences. So. Yeah. So what, uh, what were some of the biggest things that jumped out and what lessons did you learn? Yeah. I mean, so the first one that I had was of a childhood best friend. Um, and that was famous my, Netflix actor. Yeah. Famous Netflix actors and the lead role in a Netflix movies, John Paul Caicos full, full count. I'm actually an extra in it, but John Paul was the lead actor in it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, we're just childhood friends. And it was one of those things I think a lot of people do. Um, or at least a lot of people I talk to, right. They mm -hmm. say, Hey, I've been friends with this guy all along. We were doing deals. Like before this, we were selling shoes on eBay. Um, we would buy Apple cables from China, Alibaba, sell them on eBay. We would buy stuff at Ross, flip it together. And so we all had that entrepreneur together mind. And so I discovered wholesaling when he was actually filming that movie. Hmm. And so as soon as he came back, I brought him in. I was like, let's go, let's do this together. And that was a part now looking back on it, like don't bring one, your best friends just to bring them in as a partnership, especially if you have the same qualities and uh, same characteristics. Like, again, we're both pretty good at sales. We're both talk to people. And that's not a good partnership necessarily. I think a good partnership, right? Someone that can compliment you mm -hmm. more than likely is probably not your best friend. And it's not a friend from childhood. It's, you know, you really want to be precise on who you're going to pick and, you know, really decide and dissect that this person is going to benefit me and help me. Um, and, and on that point is like, are they going to bend or excuse me, are they going to be able to come in there and, and hold me about, you know, keep me balanced? Like, they're good at sales. I'm good at sales. Who's going to do the marketing? Who's going to do the systems? Who's going to do operations? And so my first partnership was really just, hey, we're friends. Let's go do business together. And obviously, that didn't work out in the long term. One, also visions, right? He didn't have the same visions. Right. John Paul wanted to be an actor. And he was dang lead role in a, a Netflix movie that was on Netflix. Like, I should have, what was I thinking? Like, we're, we're going to do wholesaling forever? To, you know what I mean? So, you know, he had aspirations. I had aspirations. At the end of the day, it just turned to be like, look, we're both doing the same job. And I have more energy to do the whole thing because I'm full in. You're doing acting like it's best prior to part ways. So, right. again, just learning that where's your the person that you're thinking of partnering with? Are they going to benefit you? Are they going to balance you? Are they going to be able to do the things that you don't like? Are they going to be really good at the things you don't like? Not that, that can they just do them. Are they going to be really good at the marketing, really good at the systems? Yeah. And also, where's their vision? Do they want to be 
wholesaling or they want to be, you know, doing real estate for the rest of their life, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. And if there's any conflict in the beginning, it's not getting any better. You're not going to have a better <laughs> scenario down the road, to be honest. So like, just get it out the yeah. way. Set expectations don't get closer. No. They just get further apart. Exactly. Everything changes. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that was the first big partnership. And that's, I think one that a lot of people can kind of relate to. They might have a similar experience. Too. Yeah. And I would say for sure, you know, the, my partnership that ended, uh, the most recent relation that ended was because we started off with similar visions, yep. right? And then we had very different visions. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of those distractions and visions is because I saw what was possible with Collective Genius. Exactly. And I wanted that, right? It's like, Frank Cobb doing what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eric Brewer is doing what? Phil Green's doing what? Let's do all those things. Amanda Dean, she's a person on the show before you, right? She yeah, worked yeah. with Dan Lane. Like Dan Lane, Jeremy Fish, Amanda Dean. What are they doing? Why are we doing that? Copy so, that, yeah. So it's just a difference of vision. And so... It's hard to work together yep. when you have different aspirations. Exactly. Um, and the other thing too, just on your point, um, is I got a chance to go to ClickFunnels uh, September of last year, mm -hmm. and uh, Eric Thomas was speaking on stage. You know, Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The motivation, right? Hip hop preacher. Yeah, yeah. Right. And there's one thing he said that really stuck out for me, and it was just because I would die for you, doesn't mean we should do business together. Yeah, see, exactly. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah just because I love you, doesn't mean we should work together. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Hundred percent. It. But we so often when we start in the beginning of our entrepreneurial journey, it's like, look, you know, you and I, we get along. Yeah, right? exactly. Let's just find someone that you would die for. And you're just like, oh, let's do a business together, you know? Yeah, right. Because I die for you. Why would I not work hard? Why, or, would, why yeah. would we not get a business partner? Exactly. Just because you would doesn't mean everything else it's supposed to falls into alignment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what else? Was there other parts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So off that, um, that was about the end of 2021. I believe so end of 2021 we decided to part ways uh, and it was mutual cordial good friends still um and then that led to um at that time chandler some of you guys might know that's watching this chandler was working as a marketing director from us at that time doing marketing things and a lot of other things helping us tremendously and chandler's actually lucky enough i had chandler too because he's very blunt and he was literally like told that my john paul my buddy john paul he's like we don't want you here anymore. And Chandler didn't even own the company. He was saying that. Like, he was like, he's already telling them because he saw what the end of it. So Chandler helped me a lot with that, yeah. um, which led into me and Chandler growing the business in 2022, uh, 2020, and, and end of 2021, Chandler joined and immediately impacted us. Um, but again, by the end of 2021, John Paul was out. All 2022, uh, me and John Paul, uh, or excuse me, me and Chandler just took over. And um, again, Chandler came in there and, he did everything, and I learned from my previous partnership. Chandler did a lot of things, well, a lot of things, almost everything better than I could. And on in certain parts of the business, immediately impacted, grew the business, helped you know this department get back on its feet. This department build the procedures. This so very good partnership, and it just ended up being more of that vision thing as well. Um, early or middle of this year, roughly, is when we decided. Like, it was, I kind of felt it coming. Um, Chandler is. Obviously, again, for him, he had a different vision. Um, he wanted to help more people through the education space, mm -hmm. which, why not? You know, I mean, it's not something that like, I'm upset about. Like, of course, like, that's what he wanted to do. That's what's more fulfilling, more fulfilling for him. And so I think after a year of him being in um, the Dispo Director role for us as well, that paired with, you know, the visions on our education company growing and building more clients, I think it ended up being an end goal or just, you know, we yeah. decided to part ways and, Again, Chandler, we're still, you know, cordial. Still, it's not like you screw him and stuff like that, you know. Uh, you know, we're still very good friends, and we're still partners in the education company. Yeah. But just decided that, hey, the best thing for you, Chandler, like, and you fulfilled. And, and it's not me. Like, Chandler's the one that made this, which is what I'm great, you know, happy about. It wasn't like I had to, like, push him away or he had to push me away. He's just, that's what I like about Chandler. We said, look, this is what you want to do. All right, go do it. And so, again, now 
just broke up from that and uh you know just again like i said cordial nothing that's too hostile but um, hostile at all just working towards and helping each other and like i said still working with the education program because you know i still have ownership but right. it's chandler's boat to, to row so it doesn't really sound like there's uh, a lot of lessons necessarily it was just kind of a story it was story i mean the lessons look here let's talk about this steve i called steve up right and right before i even gave um, Chandler and our organization, he never became an equity partner. He was a profit split, not to diminish what he did. He did everything the same and he got paid as if he was an equity partner. Mm -hmm. But I, who'd I learn that from Steve, right? So I broke up from John Paul, immediately called Steve. I said, look, Chandler's killing it for us. You know, Chandler's doing this. I see him being a, a, a fit for a longer term. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Steve's like, well, hold on, you know, don't think about putting that equity out yet, right? Don't think about that. Make, you know, incentivize Chandler, incentivize whoever that person might be into getting some sort of profit split or equity. And luckily, and I mean, I probably would have just gave it because it's my personality mm -hmm. a lot of the times, but you know, you know, Steve told me like, let him earn it. So throughout that first year, um, we, I consistently gave um, Chandler, um, you know, goals based on the court. Hey, we do this, this quarter goes up. We do this, this quarter, it goes up. We do this, this quarter, it goes up. Um, and sorry, not to mess up this whole conversation, but 2020, 2020 end of 2020 is when we got John Paul. I'm a year behind. So Chandler's with me all 2021, all 2022, and then this year. So sorry not to throw that back in the combo, but so it was, it was another extra year on there. But again, like I said, I called you up and then that would have been at the beginning of 2021. So mm -hmm. 2020 is when John Paul left. And I asked you, and again, Steve was telling me, look, take your time, let Chandler earn it, let him do it. And that's what I did. And so that's how it progressed. Big lesson there. That's what you're asking. The lesson is big lesson is just don't even if you have someone on your team that thinks you might be a good COO or someone on your team that you think might be a good director, mm -hmm. don't just give them an ace and let them prove themselves, even if you believe they're there. And again, of course, figure out their goals. Their goals might be, you might be paying them three grand a month and they're the star player. Why, right. why would you not go up to five grand? But, you know, the reality is we're talking about in detail with a partnership. And I quickly, you know, with you made that adjustment and started rewarding them based on quarter to get certain more amounts of profit split per year. And then again, final goal or final lesson there is, when we exited the business in middle of this year, May, June, it was very simple. It's just you had profit split. Now you don't. You know you're gone. You're working right. else. So thanks to Steve for that advice. You know, saved that me a little bit of headache. Saved me headaches. Now a year, two years later, right? Yeah. So yeah, who knows how expensive it would be by the mouth? Exactly. So I mean, obviously we worked something out where it was cordial. He got you know more than you know amount amount of money, and it wasn't just like you screw you, you're gone. But right. again, it still worked out to where it wasn't a massive headache. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the the challenge of giving up equity. Uh, and I say giving up, like not in a way to like, you know, we're, we're being charitable. Yeah, yeah. It's just that once it's given. Yeah, it's hard to take it back. It's hard to take it back. It's really hard to take it back. It's really, really, really messy. All right. So you're traveling seven months a year. Yeah. I was about you're, last you're year. You're doing like tw uh, 13 transactions a month. Yeah. And last year was a little less than that, but this year is 13. But, you know, did over $2 million in gross profits last year. Yeah. $2 million. So multi. So I, I got to fix the title now because I said million dollars, multi-million dollars. Yeah, yeah, Right. But you're traveling. How does that work? We've got a great team. Uh, we mentioned about 30, 35 people just ending on, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully not losing them every week. But, you know, <laughs> goal is not to lose them. But, you know, we're making some adjustments. But, again, about 30 people on our team, great directors. I got five directors right now um, from a marketing, lead management director, acquisition director, disposition, transaction, coordination, mm. right? Those are the five directors. And what I'm able to do is, even though right now, on to what Chandler's saying is he was a COO. Now I don't have a COO, but what I look at, and it's kind of what Frank Cava used to teach about, it's another guy that's in our collecting team's mastermind, um, is that, you know, going down and using your directors as their own kind of COOs. So mm. 
to the point is, you know, having a great group of COOs. I talk to them weekly. Um, those are really the only dedicated calls I have, um, minus our, our win meeting, our level 10 meeting. And just, again, having clear, concise goals and KPIs and being able to identify what is success for that role and the company and that department. And again, that's what allowed me truly to take out, you know, that seven months. Now, that being said, it wasn't seven months of just shut the phone off. I worked every day, probably like just less than new normal, but like four to five hours a day, I was working, you know, Monday through Friday. And I mean, reality is if you ask my fiance, it's every second of the day. I'm thinking about, so why did you ask her that? Did you do that? And to give her some credit, she is the transaction coordinator. So she's getting hit at like 11 PM. Like, hold on. I just thought of, is that deal? Did it get solved like that? And so it's as, as luck, you know, as, as, as great as it sounds, it's not you know, seven months off, but at the same time, you know, it allowed me to do what I want to do. Like I told you in 2018, where yeah. I was able, I went to Europe and, and now the last two years we've been to Europe an average of probably seven months, just Europe mm-hmm. combined the last year and, uh, been to Japan this year or last year, excuse me, uh, went to Africa for just a couple of days, um, part of the trip all over the U S. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just allowed me because of my great team and directors allowed me to start doing what I really wanted yeah. to do. So at clarity. It's not vacation seven months a year. Exactly. Because you're not in the 48 states. Yeah, exactly. Not in this in this uh, continent. Yeah. So, and that, that doesn't water it down anyway, right? Like you're still yeah. working remotely, but you don't actually have to be at the house. You don't actually have to have a face-to-face, sit down, hey, Gino, come to my office, and no. have a conversation. You're able to do it all virtually. Exactly. Um, so five directors. Five so directors. It, was, it was transactions, yep. leads, dispo, acquisitions, Marketing. Marketing. Uh, no finance. I'm the finance director. You're the finance director. I'm the finance guy. I learned that in 2022 quick. I need to be on top of that finance director role. So <laughs> Why? I, yeah, why? Because I saw money going out of the business that I didn't think was possible coming out of the business, especially <laughs> when I started. You know, we all started, right? Where I was like, when I first did it, it was like, hey, hold on. People spend five grand a month on this business? This is when I first started. Now I'm looking at like, yeah, well, we spend multiple, we spend six figures a Every single month, no matter what, if we make no money. So quickly realized, like, I need to step it up and try to actually monitor my expenses. So, yeah, so I'm the finance director. Got it. Yeah. All right. So talking about these five uh, directors, mm-hmm. how did you find How did you find these directors? Good question. Um, of course, the multitude of different ways. Transaction coordinator. So my fiance has been doing it for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so she, that was pretty easy find. She's laying next to me in my bed. Personal question. Yeah. Was she a transaction coordinator and then your fiance? No, because we met when we were 15. So okay. there's no TCs involved at 15 years old. But, I just uh, want to make sure, no, right? No. Like for everyone else, like, hey, like, you know. Oh, looking. no, it wasn't an HR problem. No, <laughs> it was well before that. Right? Okay. All right. So your fiance. All right. So yeah. that one's the easier one. Yeah, that's the easier one, right? So then uh, marketing director, um, his name's Adam. He's He came from actually being a, a referral from Jared, which is a former acquisition manager of mine. He became an acquisition manager, actually, Adam. I know you said it was marketing director for about two years. He was, his his um, PI is a uh, pr- predictive index for behavioral test, is a, I don't want to butcher it because he just retook it, operator. Mm-hmm. And I had him in the, um, the PI, or had him in a sales role, which just meant that over time, he's going to hate out. it. He's going to hate it. So that happened, of course, PI was right. Yeah, um, and now I quickly saw that we needed a need for marketing. Put him in that. So again, it was an internal hire. Um, we go and go over to lead management director, Jordan. Um, met him on a plane going to LA in like 2020. 
um, right before COVID. I actually remember. And uh, he saw me reading a book, Traction. It was right when I was reading Traction too. And uh, he's like, what is that about? And so funny enough, his fiance now, or actually his wife now, excuse me, I went to their wedding. I should know that. His wife now um, was at that time just left the sorority, not to go into this, the sorority talk on the Real Estate Disruptors podcast, but no, was in the sorority of my fiance now mm-hmm. uh, at our college. So they were like, oh, wait, we know. Again, she she left the year before, but they knew each other. And so they started talking on the plane, which led to Jordan talking to me. I told him what I do. About six months later, he tried doing it. And after six months later, he's like, can I join the team? So he started as a lead manager back in like 2021. Got it. Uh, early 2021. And so he's been worked his way up. LM director. Very like amazing job. Next is AM director, Marcus, um, which Steve, you work with him, train him Amen. just through social media. That's how I found him. Um, worked with us for a year as an AM, a little bit actually less than that. And then quickly saw that he had the leadership skills, uh, the uh, ability to communicate very well to, yeah. to the other uh, acquisition managers and mm-hmm. AM director. And then, uh, Brad is our disposition investment sales rep director, um, sells our deals. Uh, came from social media and um, very. He worked in a more. He worked on his own too. I think he worked in a Keekly franchise as well. Um, but been amazing. Knows way more than what I would know, and that's the goal, obviously, for your P four A to go in there. And so again, social media. So it's a mix. Social media, you know, in person. I just met him on the plane, Jordan, but uh, and then internal. It's all over the place, to be honest. Uh, so. Pretty good to have a former Kegley guy. As yeah. Yeah. They, they have some pretty good internal training on Dispo. Exactly. Yeah. But the power of social media, right? And so, but they didn't find you through social media. You found Marcus through social media. No, they found me through social media. They found yeah. you through social so media. For your point, Marcus and Brad both found me through social media. Yeah. So, I mean, the power of social media. So, talk about like the yeah. effect it's had for you. Yeah. No, a lot of my people, I think probably out of the 30, probably 10 came from social media. They saw me post and it's great that we're a virtual company too because we got people that Marcus lives in Washington. Marquise joined us earlier this year, or last year, excuse me. He's in Florida. So yeah, the power of social media, man, just putting stuff out there and showing people that you're actually doing this business. And I got to do a better job, to be honest, the last three months, it took a little hiatus from it, but I need to get back on it. And you know, that just showing people that you're doing this business, I think gains a lot of respect, especially in the last year and a half when a lot of people we know left the business or they're not doing it. Anymore. Early retirement. Yeah, early retirement. They took a little break. <laughs> but uh, no, so... Yeah, and that's the ability I think social media allow give you, you know, the credibility. They see you doing it. They see you hanging out with Steve. They see you hanging out with Eric or Ren or Ryan or whoever it is, right? And so, I think it's very important not only just for you know hiring people, but you know, I think for long term longevity in this business being known so that you could pivot on certain things, right? Yeah, and um, there were a couple of different advice. I remember and we had a ton of conversations over the years and mm-hmm. in mentorship. Uh, one of them, I think. Um, Kind of took the hard the other one, I think. Uh, went went sideways. Um, but yeah, I was pushing so hard to create content. Yeah. Right. And I think you just fought it so hard. Yeah, it was it's not naturally something, you know, like obviously I'm extroverted on you know, I, I am but like again, excuse me, I get, you know, power, I feel great talking to people, but just like putting the camera on, I was like it's just a, you know, it drains me, right? Yeah. But I was pushing you like, dude, your your brand should be like the college kid that wholesales. Yeah. And I was pushing you to create like TikTok, not TikTok, Instagram reels or Instagram videos, I guess at the time, because reels wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, yeah. Like go create Instagram content of you talking about doing wholesale deals while you're at college. Yeah. Right. But I think that I got a lot of pushback there. The other yeah, thing. Yeah, it was that, that way. But that's another thing. Yeah, we did this all through college. It's helped me build that virtual team as well. It yeah. forced me to having to have to go to school, you know, even though I didn't really 
go that <laughs> I mean, I went to school, but I didn't really, you know, eight hours a day or eight hours a week versus. Well, and because you were doing well in wholesale, you could afford a VA. Yeah, exactly. To take your classes. And that's what we did. Yeah, you know, I did have a VA. My executive assistant still today is, um, she did at the later part of my, she did a lot of presentations and tests for me. So Yeah, she deserves her own degree. Off the record. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, not to out you. you know, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on, no. on a public podcast. I got my diploma still, man. Don't worry. You can't take it from me. <laughs> um, but the other thing too was, uh, you know, we're talking about building your brand, leveraging TV. Now, mm-hmm. my understanding you don't do TV. Yeah. So that was a big thing you were talking to me about, right? I started in the beginning or end of 2020, right after the election, mm-hmm. um, strategically. But I um, started TV and did it for two years. And when 2022, the end of 22 hit, but towards that end period, it just, yeah, it, it, it was starting to swallow and you're getting mm-hmm. 35, 40 grand a month. Right. And you're not seeing any return or very little. But again, to your, um, for you bringing it up, like Steve told me, you know, if you're doing this for 10 more years, People will know you. And, you know, even though I did it only for two years, I still have a lot of people that, you know, friends, family, and also other people like, oh, wait, were you on the TV commercial? Yeah. To Steve's point, which kind of is contradicting what I'm saying. I need to get probably back on yeah. it in some sort of marketing so, capacity. you know Steve Ham, Yeah. Right. PPC Force. PPC Force. So I was talking to him, and he was, we were, we were having a conversation about, like, hey, if I want to do PPC and Phoenix, what's that? I'm like, yeah. well, uh, you should do it. A, you should do it. B, also know you're going against the buzzsaw. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. What are you talking about? Like Doug Hopkins. So, so who cares? Right? Like I'm gonna say market is Doug, but if we're doing PPC, like what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody can top Doug Hopkins exactly. in conversion rates. Meaning, if you go to Steve Trang's PPC site, you're gonna get between thirteen and sixteen percent conversion rate. Thirteen and sixteen percent of people land on the page are going to put their their information in. Yeah. Right? That's industry standard. There's nothing good or bad. That's just how it is. Yeah. My understanding is Doug Hopkins has a 25% option rate, right? Like if you- 50% more, yeah. Like sell my house fast, buy my house. Oh, I'm on Doug Hopkins page. 25%, right? So that means he's getting more leads. Yep. Cheaper because Google is seeing it has a really good conversion rate. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right? So he's buying more deals, getting more leads, and he's paying less on TVC. Yep. Because of his brand. Exactly. Right? So I guess with all that being said, are you going to be going back on TV then? I think it's definitely a possibility now. With that being said, I'm also in three different areas now. Right. Atlanta's not really where we're finding the most return on our investment. So that's why it's, I yeah. mean, it's a question I should be saying is yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Dad. Well, I'm yeah. just curious, right? Because um, when you were doing TV and it was harder, yeah. you weren't doing the MLS model yet. I was. You were? I was, yeah. For, for It just happened that the MLS model was during it. 2022 i started in 2022 so i'll start and when i mean i started i started mls in 2022 in tv in 2020 yeah so it was towards one year of doing that MLS model right um, i'm just curious how that would look yeah i mean i'm sure it would be a lot better i think during that time though like we mentioned that 2022 is a little dark age i know in phoenix it hit hard in that june of 2022 still, still have it, still have scars yeah exactly so <laughs> and, and it hurt all the big i think markets you know san yeah. diego and even like i said georgia like it just wasn't so i mean like you said i might have caught the bad end of the stick there and got a little bit too but atlanta is another like the market where you got doug here you got um a lot of big players open door um why oh of course so i forgot his name mark spain i mean i know you're not in the area but have you probably heard of mark oh, spain you yeah talk to amanda, in the relative world you know mark spain yeah if you talk to amanda which you know she was here last week in nashville like he's ginormous mm-hmm. in nashville georgia south, northern florida i think maybe even near south florida north carolina south carolina the guy dominates, 
dominates. Yeah. And I think um, PPC Force, we ran PPC Force in Atlanta. Cost per click was like $750 per That's click. Probably. No, per click. Ask Steve Ham. I know it sounds ridiculous. He was telling me because he's like, look, you're, you need to spend like a hundred and something thousand dollars to even get the leads that you want to hit. Then you got to convert. Yeah, I know it sounds like, but I'm telling you, it's cost per click. Like it's like a ridiculous amount that you have to spend. Cause usually what's cost per click usually? Uh, $40 issue around here. Okay. Well then maybe I'm retarded. No, um, <laughs> maybe that's my visionary talking in there, but I, I swear it was like, okay, so maybe it's cost per lead. Yeah. But I still think it was, it was something ridiculous, but it was, it was still 800 and something dollars because here yeah. it's probably what, four or 500 cost per lead? Uh, cost per lead. Uh, cost per lead. I think these days probably closer to 250 bucks okay. because, um, only because we had a lot of people retire early. Oh, they left early? In the wholesale business. Yeah, back in the day, it was like four or five. Oh yeah. Four or $500. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, that was just normal. So when that was going on in Georgia, because this was end of 2022, I think still people were trying to survive that were taking early retirement. They're still trying to survive. <laughs> they, uh, in Georgia, like I said, it was like 750, 850. He's like, dude. You're not spending 100k a month. You're not even going to hit in Atlanta, and that's partially why we started adapting to just try these other markets that still had very good median sale home price, right? So we can still get our deal size that we want. They still had very low supply, low days on market, and I'm talking about Dallas and Raleigh Durham, so that it still would facilitate not increase our cash conversion yeah. cycle, while still having the MSA this population to target. Because even up to about two months ago, we were very heavily sms not that that was our only marketing source but it was heavily sms marketing all point being back to tv and back to what we're talking about is like we're that's why maybe you should start building a brand in those other markets too as you could well. be mark spain it could be mark spain and big marky <laughs> could take him out it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit more money over yeah the time. Take, i think at the time on him and i think he's probably guessing his age probably like 40 something yeah. 24 so we got another 20 years to in 15 years you'll be bigger exactly yeah so Talk to me about expanding to Dallas and Raleigh. Yeah. So, like, uh, what was the vision in going to the markets? Because I think you were, uh, you, Dallas was the first market you expanded to. Or was Raleigh? Yep. yep. Dallas was the first one. Okay. Um, so why, why Dallas? Yeah. So back to the the what I was just mentioning is what we want to figure out. Obviously, you want to check all the boxes. We want to still be able to disbone the MLS. Well, we're still able to do that in Texas. We still want to be able to um, reach a lot of people. We're SMS marketing. We need to go through data like crazy. Dallas Fort Worth is a huge MSA. We can do that there, right? Just yeah. as much as Georgia. I think they're just, you know, they're I think four or five not they're bigger. So that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. So they're we can hit just as much people. Um they're days on market and we specifically just um the the tryout Dallas, we pulled fifty thousand records and um of the top K, or the top zip codes that had the most cash sales, the most people that were um, you know, buying in there. So we did that. We didn't just hit all of it but at first, and so we went in there with the targeted mindset because, again, median home price, the amount of population, the low supply that was still there during this time was just this. They're all equivalent to Georgia. If you put them next to each other, I remember looking back on this with Chandler when we were there, and we're like, this is pretty much Georgia right here, just, you know, two-hour plane right away. Yeah. Now, with that being said, obviously, we had difficulties with it being an hour behind us. We got to change phone numbers, um, you know, back to talking about in-person versus over the phone. I had that same conversation for the last five years like i did there with go stay in your state you can take all your you all your money in georgia you don't need to leave the state and i've fought for five years on that too like yeah i can i'm, I'm going deeper and deeper got to a point of sms we're sending twenty seven thousand outbound texts a day there does get a point where it becomes like all right let's try to target some low-hanging fruit somewhere else right and so that's what we did um quickly saw success um did three multiple six-figure wholesales so we're like, holy cow, like we, there's such a good deals. We're not going to put these on the most, we're going to buy them um, last year. And so that was a big thing again, though, 
back to your point is just looking at the demographics, looking at the supply, looking at the median price, um, looking at days on market. That was the reason we took Dallas. It looked similar to Georgia, and we felt still being able to dispo there like we do now. Let's try it out, right? Yeah. A lot of people. Um, same thing with Rally Durham. Less people there, but regarding statistics, they're way better than Georgia. Days on market so low compared to Georgia. I think I just looked at it again last week. I think it was like nine or ten in Rally Durham, and Georgia now is at like eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like for days on market and same like supplies significantly lower. Really low. They're they're the best at the time when I was looking for this. Excuse me, it was like in July or mm-hmm. yeah, July. They were the best by far in terms of the whole country, other than some little markets in in California that had the very hot stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, like in in the southeast where we're at, like they were the hottest market. So quickly pivoted there again, worked in slowly, bought some data, went in there, and where we saw the success, started targeting, and now it's like I said, it's about forty percent of our marketing spend goes to Rally Durham in Texas. Um, uh, so you pull the data. What data do you like for? Just the statistics or for the SMS? Oh, for me? Oh, for SMS. Yeah, for where we get our data. Audantic. Um, but, you know, of course, it gives you a certain amount of records. You get tapped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pull from straight from the uh, county as well. I mean, prop streams in there, too, with the county stuff. But, like, prop stream. I mean, we, we just pull everything at this point. Uh, 8020 is a very good software uh, or very good data. We don't have as much with them, but they're very good as well. I like to put them on the podcast because I hear everyone doing great with 8020. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's where most of our stuff is like, there's a bulk data and just freaking nail and bail, man, nail and bail. <laughs> I'm an SMS. And obviously that's seen some challenges in the last six months. Mm-hmm. I say we did a really good job other than November started really getting hit hard. And that's yeah. why going into this year to, to make a quick story on it, going to this year, we about took SMS down in half, focused on doing some cold call, doing at that at scale. Now I feel really confident about cold calls are so probably best return right now. And, and then mail in PPL paper lead. Uh, who are you using for Bocalling? Cocon, we're using PBS, which I don't I know if you know. heard about them. So they used to be the white label to Carlos and Sal's company, mm-hmm. Hog Geeks. They uh, would be the ones that are making the Egyptians. Call, the Egyptians. But, you know, they had a little beef going on. They'll fall out. But I don't care. They're giving us the stuff. I, and like I said the same thing. I saw their whole messages. You don't know who's telling what, not to discredit any side. And we talked to them. They, of course, they said that's all BS. And, that, and, and like, I think the guy that they had that the beef with, Carlos and Sal, it's not the same. Like they're like friends. This company, they're not the same. He had his own company off this company. Anyway, long story short, they're giving us like a nine X return right now. I don't care who they are, <laughs> man. I don't care what's going on. I mean, obviously yeah. we have ethics in it, but like we got nine X return. We're spending. We just bumped it up to this month, so I can't give you an accurate number. But back we were spending, I think like eight grand a month and consistent nine X return. Yeah. So well, I'm glad to hear that Coca Cola still works for you guys. So. um so PBS. PPL. Yeah, yeah. PPS is the cold calling company. And then PPL, who are you liking right now for PPL? PPL, we started in December heavily. Um, motivated leads is great. Um, leads Zolo is one. And then the property leads. Property, property leads. Uh, I don't think I've heard of that one. I, I, I think that's their name. I can ask my marketing director. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I think, I think I get marketing material from them. but I Yeah, really, I mean, to be honest, in um, August, or excuse me, December when we started, I think – we spent about um, eighteen grand, and we got like four contracts. And I was like, "Pretty good." That's it's pretty good, but you know, with us, we're sixty percent right now. Fault. So it's like you take that to maybe two or three closings. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's two. You're at nine k per cost per deal. It's a four, roughly four extra return. Just like I said, our deal size is about thirty three, thirty five thousand, three point something. It's not yeah. the greatest. So it was, I was a little bit like, "Okay, that's good," but let's see if we can't pump a five or six, especially spending not that much money. I mean, I know eighteen k is a lot, but at the same time, it's not like you're spending fifty a month. Right. And now 
the start of this year, I think we have up to today, January 10th, we're at like nine contracts and six of them came from PPL. Gotcha. So now you asked me today, I'm, I'm on the hot burn for PPL now too. Uh, so no PPC. No PPC. Okay. Now I might be something in the future with not in Atlanta because I told you we had the experience there and it was not a great experience. Um, so then these other markets, Dallas and yeah, probably Durham. And uh, I mean, you talk about Atlanta, like we mentioned some big names, but there's also, you know, Padley's there. Well, exactly. <laughs> Padley's there and we're doing similar things, right? Yeah. Now they don't focus mostly on, uh, you know, paper lead and they don't do, I mean, I'm good friends with them, go skiing trips with them, Fran yeah. and Pat, Clint, you know, they're focusing mostly on mail. Um, but, you know, regarding the PPC TV, it's not like we were facing them. It was that literally like, and this is a year ago, and PPC was a year ago too, but it's you're facing Open Door, Zillow, Offbat, the biggest guys they're buying. I think in Georgia, and I know we all felt this in 2021, even parts of 2022, is I think they were the most, um, they took the most market share in Georgia. I think it was like 30%, 30% of the homes bought in 2021 was from a, um, or it might have been 2022, excuse me, it was from a, a hedge fund or a REIT or whatever. Yeah. So like yeah. they took the market share in Georgia. Being I mean, I know how that feels. Yeah, I was gonna say Phoenix, just the same, right? Right. So we're competing with those guys, and when you're talking about them, like back to the PPC force, Steve, talking to him, and he's like, "Bro, like Mark Spain is spending multiple million dollars a month in Atlanta. You you know what you're going to do to even get some of that." And so we're like, "Don't do that." And so, but back to your point, yeah, we still got obviously just in Phoenix. There's multiple people that are doing this or good relationships. I was just hanging out with Clint two weeks ago talking about businesses and learning from them and seeing how he grew that quick. is just amazing. Obviously a big help for rent. He'll tell you that himself. Uh, but like just learning from them, you know, and learning from everyone in our team. Just like you guys do in Phoenix here, right? right? Just trying to learn from the top guys and take bits and pieces. And, and I think it's good to mention on the show, like you got to know what you want to do. Yeah. I think you probably share some consent with this. I don't want to be doing a million a month. I don't want to do, have the people to, and do and have that mental stress. I know what it looks like. We know people that do that. And, mm it's not as pretty as it seems and seems and it, it's really not the profitability too is not always there like a lot as of much, chaos a lot of chaos and so you know for me it's it's looking at it and, and trying not to compare myself and trying to you know the comparison is thief of joy but looking at it and say like what can i take from him him not just i'm talking about i'm talking about everyone in our market anyone collecting genius take a little piece and how can I use that to fit my right. lifestyle my dream of a business right and also how much chaos can we contain exactly um or are you okay with uh so Talk to me about the challenges of going to a new market. I think the big challenges there is just understanding where you're supposed to be marketing to. For example, if you came to Atlanta, people come to Atlanta and they go to Atlanta, the city of Atlanta. You don't go to city of Atlanta. Every street's different. Every you know little mark, every house has a different value based on when it was built. Um, you know, again, the big thing was like every street you could be a three hundred thousand dollar house or a fifty thousand dollar house. I don't know, fifty might be. A drastic thing but like very very different markets a very different streets um a lot of people go there and people don't like flipping there because the county gets or the city gets involved and anyway point being is like if you go to certain areas you need to learn where is the best for our type of business to get into and and that's where i think a challenge in the beginning is and it's talking with luckily we're in a good group collective genius we keep mentioning the mastermind we're part of talking to guys that are doing deals there and selling them like look man we're going to come in here um, but I want to work with you. I want to work some things out. I want to figure out how we, you can benefit with us too if we do some deals. But where would you go? Luckily enough, Brad, who's our dispo director, he's from Texas. So he had a good background on where we should target marketing. And then in North Carolina, just talking to a lot of guys and juicing data to really adjust and then internally see, okay, we're getting a lot of hits in this city. Let's try to 
blanket the city in SMS text and do a little strategic marketing there. Big thing. And then I think another big thing is we're closing attorneys in Georgia. Both of these, I mean, use closed attorneys, but go through cattle companies. Um, I think North Carolina is a closing attorney state, um, but it's just building those relationships with those closing attorneys and cattle yeah. companies, depending on the state. And, you know, we've got screwed a couple of times where they say they're, they answer their calls or they say they have good customer service. Obviously everyone does. And then we can't get to a closing scheduled at all. Right. So that's a big difficulty that I would say everyone would probably face. And you might face if you're doing this, it's just like, and you're going nationwide. It's like finding, yeah. I know you can use nationwide title companies. You got to find a really good one to do that too, because we've used some of them and they're like, yeah, not giving us much attention. Right. So they're no. not maybe giving us the best service. So I think again, like I said, the the biggest ones is knowing where to market and knowing um, who you're going to use through your closing attorney, your title company. Those yeah, are the biggest how, challenges. How would you vote a closing uh, attorney? Yeah. I mean, our big thing is referrals. We used referrals and actually bit us in the butt. So we probably should do a better job at doing that. Now we did have a Texas one we've been using from the beginning and how we did that is it was referrals, but also having a deeper conversation with their attorneys. Like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. How quick can you get this done? How quick can you get title back to us to let us know if it's good? How quick can you be able to run all your reports, all your liens? Are you going to have someone on staff that can work on our deals particularly or give it more? Of course, they're not going to upfront. They don't know who you are. They're not going to say, yeah, we're putting everyone on you. But like, hey, if we do this, what would it look like? A little sales training there from Steve. Like, hey, if we say we are doing 10 deals a month here, what how, what kind of service would it, like, would it look like for us? Mm-hmm. Start playing and quickly saw like this company's legit that or this people were talking about it. And, uh, you know, kind of did a little pre preemptively vetting them and making sure that they do deals. And All right. biggest thing though, like I mentioned already, though, is it's just referrals. I mean, there's people that, you know, like we know a lot of high, high class business owners, yeah. high class entrepreneurs that they're using them. Like, obviously they're, they're not crap. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully. But well, I mean, we used, uh, we used a company that, um, you know, uh, in, in Vegas, we did, we did one deal wholesale in, in Vegas. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that works in that for who it's just, I'm yeah. doing it. Right. And so, uh, because we were tight with Sean Bob, we used the company that Ryan Pineda has a lot mm-hmm. of great relationship with. And I gotta say, that's probably one of the worst experiences I ever had. Really, right? And I, and I'm not blaming yeah, any no, on yeah, yeah, Ryan, yeah. right? It was just um, Ryan gets great services with Ryan. Exactly. See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just like you. You've never done a deal with me. You don't know who I am. This and that. And then you know, being in Phoenix, we're totally spoiled. Uh, I, I, we take for granted uh, how easier how much easier things are here mm-hmm. um you know it wasn't until we left here and went to other states like the service is important here exactly um every title company knows there's another title company in take uh, your lunch growing yeah. distance yeah exactly <laughs> you, you can hit them with a rock from from there so they're all competing and vying for each other so like if they don't pick with the phone they're not being respectful all right yeah, thanks see you later and i'm gonna switch there's other states it's just like yeah if you don't like our service too bad exactly and that's just the way it's like how is this how is that possible like, <laughs> even in georgia we have a really good relationship with their after five years actually my first deal with them um and uh we have a really good relationship but if i was not to do it with them like people use this these guys say the same thing they said they're terrible i'm like if they're allowed to in georgia what you're saying like there's three or four big ones but you're you really out of luck if you don't use them so you got to be able to yeah. like adjust so I, I would love that phoenix ability here and then you do that <laughs> Uh, Ian here, uh, he's our head coach, right, in our sales yeah. community. Uh, he's the one that's running three coaching calls a week. Um, and uh, he was he was in Atlanta for a little bit. Um, and uh, he was talking about how these guys would not even, like, give 
any suggestions or direction yeah without upfront payment yeah. he was like what like I'm, i just have questions they're like yeah pay us like so i don't know if that's like a normal thing in atlanta no i mean i haven't experienced that but again i have my relationship with the guy but i wouldn't doubt that's a lot of other ones like i said it's not as as nice as phoenix is with yeah. that respect all right so let's talk about your business today mm-hmm. versus three years ago i know we talked a lot mm-hmm. right today like, there was a lot of our episodes yeah, well, things have changed yeah but like you know for the listener here who's getting started Mm-hmm. You know, comparing to what your life was like when you were at college, yeah, to what your business is today, what are the biggest differences? Um, I would say the biggest difference is the talent. Mm-hmm. Um, transparent, like what I've realized in the last year, two years, and I graduated in twenty twenty one. Since then, ever using that as the, the, the benchmark. Since then, what I realized is that there's a big difference between B B minus players and A A plus people. And I've quickly seen our team by adding those people in place where I was like, what the heck's, I can need only one of them to be two of the other people. Right? And mm-hmm. I've literally seen that where we've let go two people and brought in one. He did just as much as the other two people. Mm-hmm. Right? Or so, more. Or more, right? So the example, like you said, like, what did I see since, or what's our business look like? Now I feel like we're, we're stacked with a talent. And I like to believe everyone is on the team that has a talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they just, I look at them, there's just Heck yeah, like, thanks. you helped me, Steve, with that question always. Like, knowing what you know now, would you hire them again? And mm-hmm. I can safely say everyone on my team right now is a heck yes, right? And so that's important versus in 2021, there's some people are like, we just need to bring people on. We need to bring people on to make ourselves a business. Mm-hmm. Back to, again, comparisons, Steve, the joy. Hey, this guy has, you know, like you said, in CG. This guy has this many acquisition managers. This guy has many lead managers. I need to go hire more people. So in 2021, you know, we let go of some people. Um, and in 2022 is same. I would say I learned a lot from that. And I said, really the last year, 2023 has allowed me to step back and say, look, let's break this down. Let's get the best people. Let's get the A talent. And let's really focus on bringing in uh, the team. I feel we had always had great culture, but really now focusing deep on the A talent and recruiting as if it's like leads in our system, marketing, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're obviously aware of doing that, teaching, you know, my they're training my mind to like, look, I got to be a recruiter. I'm trying to recruit a couple people now, which I've learned from like Eric and Phil, like trying to like not take them from other people's companies, but I'm over here trying to, and no one that you know, we know, but like, I know this guy does this. Mm-hmm. What can I offer him? Like what special things can I get him to get him on our side and try to work with us? So like that's right. that mindset. I said, there's a big change in the last two years. Is, and I think it'll help me throughout my life as a business owner, if I'm doing wholesaling or not, it's just the ability of, you know, finding talent and bringing them on. Yeah. Phil and Eric, I think are the absolute best. Yeah anyone I know at identifying and recruiting and retaining talent. Exactly. Retaining. Right? I mean, retaining talent. So like it was, uh, you know, when Ren and I, we launched our sales leadership training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people would uh, ask us about, you know, retaining this and that. I was like, you know, like the best, the best are Phil and Eric. Yeah. But if you want to learn it, there's no one better than us to teach it because those guys won't teach you. Yeah, exactly. No, no, they're, uh, they, I mean, they're always go giving, but like you said, I mean, I would say regarding how they do things, the best of the best, yeah. a lot of things that they do, right? right? Recruiting. But these guys have their heads down and they're only focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's building the best exactly. real estate company on the planet. Exactly. So, besides fin- uh, financial freedom, what else do you love about real estate? Um, I love solving big problems. I think what's good about this business is, and a lot of businesses, every business you're solving a problem, whether you're working at a restaurant or not, you got to solve the problem of getting the client the food. But, you know, in this business, like, we're solving problems. Like, like literally, like yesterday, we had my first ever eviction. 
luckily Adam, the marketing director, went there and was witnessing court and was fighting for us. And I'm looking at that again while you're starting to get excited. It's like that challenge right there just saved us. Like, or we're going to make sixty some thousand dollars on that deal. We just solved a problem, and uh, it was a problem was getting a tenant out from a, for a seller that's going to make us sixty thousand dollars, right? So, point being is like this, you know, and I think everyone watching this is doing deals. There's, it's so fun when for me, I like to think I, well, I, I do enjoy, it, but I like to think I'm pretty good at it. Is like when Dispo or TC are bringing me some sort of problems, and you know, my goal is to empower them and try not to be overstepping to, to keep doing a better job of that. But mm-hmm. they bring me stuff, and I love just wait. Why don't we throw that to them? Why don't we give the the tenant if she's not letting us in? which we train on, why don't we give him like, uh, you know, a $50 gift card here? Oh, he doesn't want that. What if we take him, his family out to eat at their favorite, certain things like that, where we can go in and solve the problem. Cause that access is going to allow us to make 40 K on this deal, or let's, you know, again, solve these problems. And, and I think it, other than just, you know, doing what making money and, and, you know, traveling and, and what this business allowed me to do is it's also just like constantly be trying to solve different problems yeah. and learn stuff. Yeah. And I think for us being the, um what are you your persuader though i was persuader yeah now it's just a maverick but maverick? persuader originally i don't believe that i think that's wrong so it's, it's a b over a maverick okay so that so makes sense that so. makes sense yeah so uh maverick um right for me i've my profile now says venture mm-hmm. right but like what do we do as high a's on pi we love solving problems yeah like, that's our favorite thing to do uh another thing i forgot i was uh, uh about this i just thought of this now because you're talking about solving problems uh, I had a proud, proud papa moment, right? Oh yeah, here we go. All right, so we were at CG, and Jeremy Miner's on stage. Uh-huh. Right, remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember right. it. Yeah, yeah, and he went around. He's asking people, and he hit him with an objection. And I know you felt like that wasn't your best moment. Yeah, but you did good. Yeah, right? and it was, it was funny that you bring it up because I, I was thinking about that a little bit ago, <laughs> and I was like, to set the scene. So Jeremy Miner, you guys might know him as sales trainer, um, and he was on the stage, like you said, Steve, on the stage, and he came up, like, start the presentation, just looked anywhere in the eye, and I was just doing something, like, all my, I was writing something down, I look up, he's staring at me, he's like, <laughs> and he does, to my fence, he, like, he didn't understand our, our, how we work in our mm-hmm. business, next so he's like, you cold called me, you know, three days later, and I call you back and say, I'm not interested, and I was like, what the hell was he talking about, so I had a brain fart for, like, the first, like, anyone that watched this, a CG, that they would know, like, this, they were laughing, I was just sitting there, like, what, what, what do you want me to do? But yeah, to Steve's point, you know, I remember just saying to him, like, like, what did I do wrong or something? Like his response was like, again, he was the seller that said, hey, I'm no longer interested in selling. Hey, is there something I did wrong? Mm-hmm. But you can go ahead. And have some well, that was it. I was saying like, it was a, it was a proud problem because like, I'm interested in where So you went straight to sad puppy. Yeah, exactly. Take away. Ah, you know, I wasn't even sure I could help you anyway. Yeah. And like for me, I was like, yeah, like even under fire because you weren't, you were on your phone or yeah, yeah, putting out a fire or yeah, something. Yeah. And he hit you with an objection that you weren't even listening for. Exactly. And you still were able to handle the objection. Yeah. Thank okay. Steve. Like I was saying, guys, if you haven't, the training that I've learned from you, again, I started in, in the beginning of 2020. So Steve sold me on it. I remember you covering that call. I was like, shit. And at that time, that was the biggest thing. I think it was, you know, it was over $10,000 to do it, which is well worth it. Right? You see what we're talking about, the people I know because of Steve getting on this podcast now before. Anyway, back to the point is like the sales training that I've learned through that and the, the things I've learned help me every day through things and not just through business, which has made us millions of dollars to the training that we learned from Steve, but also, you know, from just hanging out with family members, talking to my fiance. Now she catches on obviously now she'd be laughing, like <laughs> listen to this, like can't push away. Hey, probably no way we could go to this restaurant. Like, yeah. But at the same time, like you're bringing up is 
the ability to have that now trained in my head, like I was talking earlier, is like you keep it forever now. Yeah. Thanks to Steve. Though. Yeah. So, thanks, big well, yeah. Steve. It was it was totally internalized. Like you didn't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's like, well, I don't know. I'm just pulling away. Yeah, I'm just pushing away, man. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Exactly. Uh, what's your biggest struggle today? Um, I would say our biggest struggle today. Um, I mean, we got struggling every single day. Um, I would say the biggest struggle for me is constantly being a better leader. I think I've taken a lot of leadership stuff. Um, I think that's the one room I still believe I have a lot of growth in. And maybe you never become a great leader like to your own respect. But I feel like there's some times where I maybe overstep boundaries. There's I'm, I'm friends, some of my friends that now are the AM director, or excuse me, the uh, marketing director, like Adam, like sometimes might jump over boundaries saying stuff. And um, I got no one to really like, I try to tell them like, if I'm saying something like too over the top, like make sure you come after me. Um, and obviously it's only so much you can do, mm-hmm. right? I think it's getting better now. Not saying I just threaten a terrible boss, but you know, like certain things like mess around Real 24 years old, yeah. right? Started this 19. So you can see what kind of what the culture of the business is. It's from a 19 to a 24 year old. So we have no filters and a lot of stuff and only to bring it up in this conversation. Like maybe sometimes I take it too far. <laughs> um, I like to think I get it right back, but you know, back to the thing, like just being a better leader, empowering our leaders, giving them what they need. I think what I should do. And this has actually hit me hard the other couple of weeks ago. Is uh, and I was actually talking to Clint about this, and I'm all big about education. We talked about this on the show already. Right? A lot of stuff I do, and I, I got Steve training a lot of our team. But I need to invest more in some of these directors and some leadership, including myself. But invest in them more and in, in, in targeted mentorship. Right? I pay for one on one a lot for people like we talked about. Do that the same for them. Get them on one on one with other people, COOs, whether it's their guidance and it's you know whoever it is. Right? And start investing more into them. Mm-hmm. And I like to think I do again. I Steve's training. We have a lot of trainers, but just think again, being a better leader and empowering the directors, give them what they, as many things as I can to allow them to succeed. So I'll say that's a little struggle mentally that I'm dealing with. It's just coming that better leader and empowering the team even more. I'd like to think you could always be a little better, but. One of the best investments I ever made uh, was hire Larry Yatch. Yeah. Right. And um, this is a time where like, all right, Steve, we need to remove you from the business. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. All right, so we hired Larry Yatch, and he was on the show uh, some time ago. He was the top Navy SEAL on the ground in Iraq, but we obeyed, right? Um, last time. Uh, and man, like him working, it wasn't one-on-one. It was him having coaching sessions with my uh, department leaders. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best investments. Yeah. Now we're all talking the same language. We're all using the same words. We're using the same. When we're referencing this or that, like we're all, we all know what we're talking yeah exactly and man that increased accountability to a level that we never had yeah so i'm just throwing that out no there. and we actually did put on it we did that but we didn't pay for larry it was yeah. a little bit significant difference in price so we went like another route and i don't think we didn't get what we well, it was our fault you know taking extreme ownership again yeah. like the book like, it was our fault yeah. but you know that's that's where we're at with it so there were a few different pricing options and i went with larry for one reason only and that was because I'm just, I just know myself. Yeah. If you're trained by Larry and you teach me, I just can't. Yeah, exactly. Serious. Yeah, that's what I think happened. Yeah, but if Larry says it, all right, like, let's go, right? Like, yeah. okay, you, you ran the, the SEAL units. Okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's right? do this. Let's go. Right? Like, when a SEAL says it, because like, I remember one time I said something and he said to me, <laughs> in all seriousness, Steve, I can never go to battle with you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was like, uh, why is that? It's like, your lack of attention to detail is going to get someone killed. Ugh. So yeah, when you hear it from him, then you're yeah. When he says then it, he says that you're right. That's one right. thing. When uh, and we talk through it and this and that. I was like, okay, I I understand the responsibilities now, right? Because yeah. again, we were paying for coaching. Yeah. 
But one of his coaches said that. I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to battle with you. <laughs> exactly. And that might be a thing for like, – it's me too. And I think yeah. that's what ended up happening. So, no, but back to your thing. I'd love to look back into it more and do some other, like, leadership stuff. I know. Yeah. Dan Hardy, right? That's who – Darren Hardy has been incredible. Hardy, yeah, Darren Hardy was awesome. Um, I, I, I learned a lot from Darren Hardy, uh, John Maxwell, um, Simon Sinek. Uh, yeah. But I would say the one that was the most impactful – was Larry Yatch, and I think the only reason why I was more impactful is because he gave us a unified language, and he coached us as a unit. Yeah. Whereas everything else was like individual. I learned it. Yeah. Right. I like we or we read the books together. Right. We read the five dysfunctions of the team together. Right. Like there's that, and that's great. But it's different when you have the instructor instructing your entire team, so you guys are all rowing the boats in the same direction. Oh uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, what would you say is your superpower now? Uh, today. I think connecting with people, relationships. I feel like I've done a good job over the years, five years, connecting with people. We've kind of talked about it earlier. Yeah. Maybe it's paying the relationship, but overall, it's keeping it going and, and keeping those relationships flowing and, and, and being able to provide value. Again, going into these, not to just, obviously, the value is paying, but also, oh, furthermore, trying to provide more um, to that person or individual yeah. as much as I can. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing. Like, even though uh, you pay to be in the room, you're an active participant. And I can say, running a program, it's actually another struggle, right? It's getting people to want to come into the room, but once they're in the room, they're quiet. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, so like now I'm just like, I just kind of picture myself as a college professor that's just droning. Yeah, exactly. Right, like sounding monotone, like uh, the the teacher in um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, yeah. Right, like if there's very little participation, it's like, all right, well, I can help you guys getting something. Yeah, exactly. But you're coming in like, all right, Steve, I'm dealing with this. All right, Steve, I'm dealing with that. Hey, exactly. we did this, this didn't work. We did this, we had this success. Hey, like now that I've got this figured out, what's next? Like for me uh, as a mentor, it's way more satisfying to see someone go from point A, to, you know, like J or, or, or K or whatever, yeah, exactly. right? Versus like, okay, like you're 10% better yeah, exactly. <laughs> than when you started here. No, no, I think it's important, like you said, just asking questions and, and being like, I try to get into the rooms. Everyone says it, but I try to be in the, the dumbest one in the room and pretty easy to do that cg like you're looking around and like oh what the heck is going on like i don't even right. know what i'm doing compared mm -hmm. to some of these guys but i think like you mentioned just asking questions you do a good job and we'll probably have a lot more coming in the sales team because we're running these hybrid calls i think mm -hmm. we've already talked to you about oh, it oh yeah we've talked about them yeah so they're starting that tomorrow so good luck to big marcus and marquise but yeah uh, yeah I, I love marcus uh poor marcus uh marcus daniel yeah uh, he's uh he's the guy i pick on whenever we're talking good, about man. uh difficult people that's right? good. We're talking about like, you know, high D personalities. Yeah. How do you deal with high D personalities? Like, all right, can you imagine Marcus if I called him and asked him how his day was going today? Yeah, exactly. How's he gonna respond? Exactly. Yeah. Why are we asking this question? So thanks, Marcus, for putting up with that. Big Marcus. Individualist, <laughs> right? That's where you originally tested. Uh it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense, individualist. Um, which failure have you learned the most from? Um yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of failures, right? Um Failure I learned the most from, I would say, and they're not necessarily failures, but the business partnerships. Um, I think that's something I learned a lot from is just being constantly communicating, uh, constantly identifying if this is a long-term fit, asking yourself if this is a long-term fit, because that kind of flows into your employees too. And uh, just realizing, seeing like, what does the future look like? And not just, because it's very easy, right? Put your glasses on, just start driving and not think about what's going to be in front of you really, you know? And, and what I mean by that is like, it's easy to get stuck in the weeds of the business and just yeah. work and grind. And I think that's what happened with Chandler and me. And, you know, we were just like, let's keep going, let's grind, let's grind. And we're not like, what are, what are we, what's the goal in the future? What do you want to do? Grinding? Why are we doing this? And it's just like going back to this, the fundamentals of 
are we going to be together? Do we want to do this in the future together? Do we want to do, you know, this and, and not just partnerships and your employees, right? And so if you can have that conversation clarity, like, hey, we're on for the ride. Let's go. This is where we want to go. Again, it's my job to be a better CEO and leader and show the people and, and identify this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still helped me today. Like you said, it's you know, something you learned from. And I think that's the biggest thing early right there. The, the biggest lesson is just constantly be doing that. And I still, again, not perfect, but trying to constantly be, you know, seeing that. The iteration. In future partnerships, I know that now. I have that on the side of my hip, you know. Yeah, and uh, uh, we had Jake McKinney. He's in the, the Whale Club. And we were talking about it this morning. I think he said Partnership Charter is an yeah. actual book. I'm like, hey, here are all the questions you should ask each other before you agree. That's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's so many, right? Right. Like, yeah, I wish we, because like we've done the the attorney stuff, right? Like the attorney is like, hey, we're going to have an operating agreement. What happens with this? What happens with that? And that's great, right? Exactly. But that's really more like, how do we divorce well? Exactly. This is not like, how do we make sure we're completely aligned? In the future exactly so partnership charter shout out to check jake that out. i gotta check that out yeah jake yeah. i know jake too so yeah he's, he's another rock star yeah exactly he provided a bunch of value yeah so uh wrapping up what are some last thoughts that you'd like to leave all the listeners with um, i think comparisons these to joy um i like i know that came up a couple of times already like in this business specifically i know um i mentioned too a little bit is that we help and coach a couple clients and not a couple a lot of people um, and a big thing I see them doing is they kind of compare either to us coaching them or they try to compare it against their friend that they hear about on real estate disruptors podcast um, or masterminds. Right. And they don't know like the true, like what's going on in their business. And more importantly, like what that person wants to do in the future. And it's very easy to say, oh, this guy's doing this many deals and be like, I need to build my team like that. And I've learned over the last two years. Um, and that's where I probably it's a good thing to leave off is like, just designing my life and designing what I want to, I don't want to do a million dollars a month. I need to talk about, I don't want to do even probably like seven fifty a month. I'd rather build a team as profitable as can be as tight niche as it can be that can run effectively without me being there. And I feel like we're doing that or on the pace to do that right now. It's where we can make money or I can make money and I can go work on something else. And again, if I was just to copy other people, I mean, you, we listed some names today. It's very easy to say, we need to go way faster. We're, failing because we're not hitting those people's numbers and yeah. i think for me like i said it's just it's something you got to do if you're listening to this is don't look at my thing right my thing has been five years mm-hmm. of course i'm not even close to the biggest fish in the sea right but don't look at me to compare yourself don't look at you know anyone else necessarily you can use that to fuel your fire you can use that to take stuff again not just to don't look at other people for you know to help you like i'm not saying do that but you know just use some things and, and design it around your life um and i think that goes back to this doing I think the gap in the gain, we know that book, right. Dan Sullivan, right? And um, Ben Hardy, where they talk about like, look at yourself, don't compare your other people, compare yourself from three years ago. Compare right. like th- compare myself five years ago, I didn't even know what wholesaling was or right? a little over five years ago. And now, you know, we do a multiple hundred thousand dollars a month yeah. and wholesaling revenue. I would never thought that was possible. So like just that right there just makes you feel a lot better as a person, gain more confidence and again, make you feel better. Yeah, you're not comparison to what you don't have, you compare, compare yourself to what you've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Someone wants to reach out to, you know, Big Boss, Gino. Big Boss. How do they do that? Yeah, and they reach out to me on Instagram, uh, Gino, G-I-N-O, Palumba. They spelled it out there, damn. I saw that. Disruptors, guys. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Palumba, <laughs> P-A-L-O-M-B-A. So reach out to me. Like, I'm open to questions. Got a YouTube channel. I need to pump that back up. But I like to think me and Chandler, we both put out a lot of value for, you know, people starting or people still doing deals and mm-hmm. you know you got questions hit me up and like i said i started by doing that steve helped me out a bunch 
um, Max Maxwell, a lot of those guys. So I'm willing to help in, in any questions you guys got. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. having you on. Thank you. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next Shout time. Out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.